Welcome to Sex Ed with DB. I'm your host, DB. Let's get into it. Did you know that four out of five U.S. adults have never heard of abortion pills? If you haven't either, no shade. Let me teach you. Abortion pills are a modern option for ending an early pregnancy safely and effectively, up to 12 weeks, either with provider support or on your own. Also called medication abortion, it's made up of two meds, mifepristone and mesoprostol, or mesoprostol only if mifepristone is unavailable. If you're wondering, how do abortion pills work? Or how can I access them in my state? Or how can I tell my friends and community about this? Plan C has got you covered. Visit plancpills.org to learn more and join us in spreading the word. We talk a lot about sex ed, but when we're shopping for products to support our sexual wellness, exploration, and expression, we head to the experts at Lion's Den. For 50 plus years, Lion's Den has been a leader in adult products. Whether you want to explore a new kink or add a little romance to your evening, Lion's Den has something for all. Each location is brightly lit and staffed with the very best experts in pleasure, passion, and romance so you can feel comfortable and confident in your purchases. Lion's Den is offering our listeners 15% off your purchase in-store and online using code Sex Ed with DB at lionsden.com. When you think about the words pleasure and power, what comes to mind? If you're a fan, you know my answer will always be the magic wand. But what if I told you the magic wand could fit in the palm of your hand? Say hello to the magic wand micro. The magic wand micro may make you wonder how it can possibly represent a brand renowned for power, but once you turn it on, This impossibly powerful, multi-function, multi-speed massager proves it's a magic wand through and through. Same magic, now in pocket size. Use code SEXEDWITHDB at Lion's Den for 15% off your magic wand micro now. I'm about to get personal here, so listen up. I'm going to tell you a fun fact about me that you definitely didn't know. The lube that I use most consistently is Uber Lube. I really mean it. If you were here with me right now, I'd tell you to go over to my nightstand drawer and tell me what you see. That's right, you would see a bottle of UberLube. If you've never heard of UberLube, let me tell you about it. UberLube is a silky smooth silicone-based lube recommended by leading doctors, and its body-friendly ingredient list makes it widely used by people with sensitivities to lubricants. Another amazing thing about UberLube is that it doesn't leave a sticky residue like water-based lubes do. It lasts for a long time and doesn't stain clothing or bedding. I have three bottles of Uber Lube on my bedside table right now, ready when I need it. If you're someone who wants to feel more pleasure in the bedroom, use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at uberlube.com. Trust me, it's amazing. I'm Gwena Lathlin, but you probably know me as Mama Cusses on TikTok and Instagram. And I'm Tori Phantom, also known as Tori Phantom on TikTok and Instagram. And we want to tell you about our brand new podcast, Childproof, from Betches Media. Parenting is hard, but it's even harder when you feel alone. That's why we created Childproof, a parenting chat show for when you're craving adult conversation and are surrounded by tiny humans. And on Childproof, we'll try to figure out the do's, don'ts, and what ifs of modern parenthood. We have been friends for years, so we want to use this show as an opportunity 
opportunity to compare notes, share stories, and grow as parents at the same time. So tune in every Wednesday as we share our experiences through a mix of one-on-one conversations, guest appearances, and input from you our listeners. That's right. You, you personally, where you are right now, you can be a listener. Subscribe right now, wherever you're listening. That's Childproof from Betches Media. Hello, Sex Up with DB listeners. Today we have a real treat in the form of a human named Dr. Jen Gunter. And happy Valentine's Day, by the way. We have a very relevant episode uh, today talking about blood and blood is red and we think of red on valentine's day so there we go uh dr jen gunter is a super well-known OBGYN, famous ted talk speaker author best-selling author uh of three books now and i interview her today all about her third book in what she calls a a trilogy of her books called blood the science medicine and mythology of menstruation we talk all about periods uh, how to decrease stigma and shame and increase empowerment by knowing your biology, knowing how your body works. Uh, and we also shit on those, uh, you know, snake oil salespeople, influencers out there who are peddling misinformation and products that you just don't need. So I am thrilled to share this episode with you. It really is the ultimate period episode. So here I am with the wonderful and brilliant Dr. Jen Gunter. Good morning, Dr. Jen Gunter. How are you this morning? I'm great, thank you. How are you doing? Thrilled. Uh, I told you this before we started recording, but my mom uh, fangirls all the time about you, and it's very fun and sweet uh, to be someone who gets to know you a little bit and to be like, Mom, look, I'm like talking with your hero. It's like a very <laughs> a very cool moment for me and for my family. So thank you by doing us this oh. service. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. It's always lovely to hear. Yeah, amazing. Well, why don't you go ahead and get started? Let's have you introduce yourself and just tell us about your new book. It is called Blood, The Science, Medicine, and Mythology of Menstruation. Yeah, so I'm Dr. Jen Gunter. I'm an OBGYN. I'm also board certified in pain medicine. Um, and I did a fellowship in infectious diseases. So that's like my medical background. Uh, but I've been writing a lot about, um, I would say, the gaps between science and the real world and trying to bridge that those medical communication gaps and really also bridge a lot of the education gaps um, for both providers and actually the general public. Uh, because I think that, um, you know, Medicine, we know there's so much underfending in women's health to begin with, and so many other issues, systemic issues related to the patriarchy. But to have communication issues on top of that is just something that feels to me that could be solved. And so my mission is kind of to build a better medical internet to get more medical information in the hands of people to teach them more about their bodies, uh, because you shouldn't graduate knowing high school knowing more about frogs than you do about you know, human, I mean, no shade to animal physiology. It's important, but do you know what I mean? Like the school also has to prepare you for life. And uh, my latest book is Blood. As you mentioned, the science, medicine, and mythology of menstruation is kind of the, you know, sort of 
the third in a trilogy uh, of um, books on on you know what we sort of collect colloquially call reproductive health, and this is the one about the menstrual cycle. Amazing, and like you said, it's the third of a trilogy, right? So let's talk about briefly your other two <laughs> best-selling books, uh, which are the Menopause Manifesto and the Vagina Bible. And so I'm wondering if you can kind of maybe talk about like the arc of the three, and like maybe how this writing the third one was maybe a little different or similar to writing the other two. Yes. Well, I probably diverge a little bit from J.R.R. Tolkien in the the construct of my trilogy. I think he had all of the Lord of the Rings sort of, you know, world built and uh, that wasn't the case for me. So, because I I don't do anything with that much planning. So I, um, I wrote the Vagina Bible sort of in response to my early days of blogging and being online and just like myths about the vagina seemed to be the thing that was was selling copy, whether it's bad advice about sex, whether it's bad advice about supplements, bad advice about medicine, you know, you name it, right? It just, and, and I was just sort of I would say how I would see people in the office every single day who had done things that were, you know, I wouldn't recommend or it had bad advice from doctors. And I just kept thinking, okay, if all these people had had all my knowledge in my head or all of it, but a good part of it, what would their trajectory have been? And so that led me to the Vagina Bible. And then when I was on tour for the Vagina Bible, uh, people, you know, vagina, vulva, these are the, I thought they were the last taboos, right? But it turns out they weren't, uh, which surprised me because once people were able to stand up and ask about vaginas, discharge and, you know, pain with putting a penis in, things that are very intimate, then all of a sudden the room erupted into questions about menopause. And I really wasn't, I was not expecting that. You know, there'd be five, six, seven questions that were all book related and then someone would ask about menopause. And I had included a bit in the book, like as it relates to the vagina, but that was it. And I was actually not prepared for that. And so I thought, wow, I think there's something here. Because as an expert in your own area, you know, I know a lot about menopause. And you just kind of assume that everybody has the knowledge you have in your head. I'm sure in the same way when I go talk to the car mechanic, he assumes like, I know what these things do in the engine and I do not. Absolutely, zero. You know, like, or when someone tells me something on my computer and they're like the motherboard, I'm like, what are you even talking about? What's that word mean? Um, Explain yourself. Yeah, like I'm always like, when people tell me about computers, I'm like, explain it to me like I'm four years (laughs) old. So I started to think, wow, I, I wonder if the way I feel about computers might translate in some way to how people feel about menopause, right? And then, um, so then I realized that I needed to write a book about that. So I did. And then uh, that was, I'll be totally honest, it was a two book deal. So I had to come out with a th- another book. <laughs> okay, totally fair. Like the transparency. So I, like I was totally not, I had no idea what that the, the next book was going to be. But then again, as chance would have it, or I like to think it's probably less chance and more like I'm paying close attention to what's going on. Uh, this I finished the book and started promoting it. Unfortunately, during peak COVID, so there was no book tour. But um, around that time, there was all this disinformation about the COVID vaccine, mm. and the menstrual cycle, and fertility, and shedding spike proteins, and and then the way people were talking about it, it was clear to me they didn't have an understanding of what normal was for the menstrual cycle or a lot of people. And again, there were gaps. We didn't have vaccine research in related to the menstrual cycle, but people were running away with that in a way that was perhaps not backed by science. And then this also seemed to coincide maybe 
coincidentally, maybe not, with the sort of this rise of distrust about hormonal contraception. This really cottage industry of scaring people about hormonal contraception and about how evil it is and it changes your brain Mm. and it makes you pick the wrong partner and all these things that are not backed by science and in many ways reduce women to being fragile creatures controlled by hormones, Mm. right? And again, there's a huge overlap with purity culture and staying away from medications and, you know... Uh, disinformation about the birth control pill and things like that. And so I realized again that um, that I needed this, – this was the area. And because of all of this disinformation about hormonal contraception, that's why I ended up having to write so much about it in the book. Because not only are these tools important for many people for contraception, but they're also important medical therapies for many conditions. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're literally seeing – people who have severe anemia from heavy periods where there's no other cause and they don't want to have their uterus out because maybe they're 22 and they want to have children and they won't take a hormonal medication because of what they heard online. And so they have anemia. Um, and so, you know, so that, that was kind of the, you know, the response to that. And so, so that's how we got this three book series and that's the dramatic arc. Wow. Incredible. Yeah. I mean, there's so many, pieces of information that are so critical in this book. And I think the way that you write it out, it's so detailed. And at the same time, at the end of each chapter, you have like a bottom line, right? So it's like, okay, like let's everyone pay attention. This is kind of the key that you really want to pay attention to. Um, and yeah, I, I think that it, it's incredible what, what you've done and what you've written. And, and clearly so many people get so much out of it. M- millions of people um, really adore your books and really feel more empowered because of them. And I think that's kind of like the next the next kind of like topic I'd like to move into is this idea of like shutting down stigma and shame and kind of increasing empowerment. But first, mm-hmm. you know, in Blood and in your amazing TED Talk, you share your experience personally with periods as a teen, as a young person, and how painful and challenging they were. And I wonder if you could share that story and maybe talk a little bit about if it does have kind of any connection or is a precursor to some of the work that you're doing or you you kind of like, you know, what basically how your experience as a young person influenced your decision uh, for your career and for your writing as an adult. Yeah. So yeah, I had very heavy periods. I mean, catastrophically heavy. Like I used to have to wear two menstrual pads. And this was back in the day when the pads were literally the size of a Kleenex box. I mean, they're massive. And I had to sleep with a towel on the bed. I'm like, you guys have no idea how far absorbent technology has come. I'm just saying. I had to sleep with a towel on the bed. I mean, it was just, you know, terrible, terrible cramps. Um, My dad used to give me coding. Wow. Which, yeah, I know, right? Um, And I was always off school one day, a cycle. And my mom just said, well, that's what it's like. I was like, okay. okay. So because you're fortunate, like what do you – like nobody talks about it and that's kind of the the point about shame. Like, you know, maybe G- Judy Bloom taught me about periods and maybe I read about them maybe in Teen Beat or, you know, whatever magazines I was reading. But no one talked about like the actual mechanics, mm. right? Like how much blood there is, how much it might hurt. And I also had terrible period diarrhea, like just, and I'd never heard that from anybody. So, you know, so I went through like a large part of my life thinking like this was normal mm-hmm. and this was just the way it was. And uh, it wasn't until I 
tried to give blood when I first started at college, went to college, right? You're 18, you can get blood. Uh, you know, there's a blood drive at the university and I got turned away because I my, was my, you know, they did a little fingertip test for iron in your blood and I didn't pass. They said, you should go to your doctor and you might have anemia and you're a woman. So maybe it's from your periods. And I went, oh, okay. That makes sense. I'm losing blood. Never thought about that. And I went to a doctor who was female, by the way, who basically said that that's the way it was. And I should just eat more liver. I should eat liver. Oh, my God. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, I sort of assumed I was going to get like, like, I didn't know anything about medicine. I was like, you know, and I thought, okay, all right. Well, I'm I'm not going to do that. So I guess this is just how it is, you know. And, it, you know, it wasn't until I got into medical school, which is at a very early age. And I was in medical school when I was 20. And then I started to get all of this information. And I was like, oh, Okay. Um, wow. There's medications for cramps. Oh, I can't take those. I have kidney disease. Okay. Um, but I could do these other things. And, um, you know, and that's where I would still remember. And I wrote about it in the book, sitting in the class, this class about prostaglandins. So these are hormones that your body makes and they can cause pain and they can also cause diarrhea and they cause menstrual cramps. And I remember hearing, wait a minute, they're, they're released during menstruation. And they caused diarrhea. This is like a light bulb click. moment. Like literally like it was like a cartoon click. And I was like, oh, you know, it's the end of the class. Like I run down and I talked to the professor and I'm like, so do you think people could get like diarrhea during their periods? And they, he was like, well, I never really thought about it, but of course. I was like, <laughs> never really <laughs> thought about it. <laughs> but of course. Yeah. And, and then- I later found out that you know 12% of people who menstruate have menstrual diarrhea and I was stunned wow. just stunned that my whole life I thought I was the only person and this was something that had really like I could not go anywhere the day I had my period I mean my periods were super heavy but the diarrhea was the worst you can always change pads and and for me cramps were awful but you physically need a bathroom that you can sit down and have toilet paper like it's you know and then you're just like, if it happens again, you're like, oh my God, I'm on a train. Like, I, like, like where am I supposed to yeah, go? I'm on a bus. Like, you know, um, you know, you can handle letting, it's not comfortable to let blood overflow your pad, but diarrhea is a different level of public risk. Totally. And so um, I just, it just astounded me that it was 12%. And every time I still to this day, talk about it, tweet about it. I mentioned it in my TED Talk. When I gave my TED Talk, several people came up to me afterwards and said, I thought I was the only one with menstrual diarrhea. Totally. Like how, like 12% of women, so if you want to say half the population menstruates, 6% of the world's population will have experienced menstrual diarrhea. It's about the incidence of asthma, you know, many other chronic medical conditions that everybody knows about. Not talked about exactly, and the other ones we talk about all the time with no shame and no. I mean, right. the second it has to do with the vulva or the uterus or you know, same concept around STIs. Like, oh, if I have strep throat, that's fine to talk about, but I can't talk about HPV or other things that are right. embarrassing. Yeah, and all the shame does is, first of all, stops people from getting care because mm-hmm. if you get treated poorly, you're not going to go back. And it's like, okay. What's better for someone with a medical condition for them to come to the doctor or not come to the doctor? Like shaming doesn't improve. It's not nobody in the history of the world has probably ever stopped a behavior really because of shame. I mean, 
Totally. Like, it's just like one, it makes people feel bad. But if your goal is to help them, that's not what's going to help. Absolutely. Um, And so there's that issue. There's the shame component. And then there's this idea that, you know, it's an effective weapon of control, right? Mm. So if you can't talk about what's happening to your body, you can't learn about it. That keeps you off balance. That um, it's really, you know, a very patriarchal tool, I think. Totally. Speaking of patriarchal tools, um, I want to share a brief experience that I just had actually um, related to a stranger man that I that I met. But I have these uh, really cute like period bags. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I'm I'm showing uh, Jen right now. They have uh, there's a pad on it. It's like a sparkly thing, and then there's like blood confetti that moves. Oh, I around love it. Yeah, yeah, in, yeah, yeah. In yeah, the yeah. pad. And I went to a, a sex toy trade show recently in LA mm-hmm. and I brought around that pad bag to collect business cards in and to hand out my stickers. And you'd be surprised. We're at a sex toy trade show. Like there are dildos and there's lube and there are sex dolls and BDSM dungeons like everywhere. And yet the looks that I got from walking around with this pad bag, right? Like we're in the adult industry we're talking about sex, we're talking about these things. And yet I kind of would walk around and it was very mixed reviews. Some people were kind of like, oh, that is really interesting or kind of just like coded language of like, ew, or that's weird. And then I walked up to one booth and two younger women were kind of like, well, that's so cool. Like, can I take a picture of that? Like, cool. that's so like cute. I love that. And then one man I showed him and he was like, oh, that's just wrong. Like he literally said, that's just wrong. Like this is 2024 and sir, you sell sex toys for a living. Like what, how else are we going to be able to talk about this in a way where we're not feeling shame about it? And so, yeah. I think that it says a lot that menstrual blood is viewed as more gross or more polluting than fecal matter. Totally. Because if you're at a sex toy convention, there's lots of toys going in the rectum, Absolutely. Lots. Um, Nobody's shameful about asking for toilet paper. And in fact, I bet you if you'd had a toilet paper purse, people would have been like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Oh, so fun. And so that says a lot to me that that's where we are in society, that menstrual blood is more polluting. So in the history, like you can get, we all know there's all kinds of awful bacteria that can get to your bloodstream from fecal bacteria. That's how people get urinary tract infections, all kinds of stuff, right? And, and and that's not to any shaming to do with sexual activity. It's just that we all know that like E. coli is associated with disease, mm-hmm. right? There's none of that association. Like there's no menstrual cycle related infections putting people into the hospital and with the exception of toxic shock syndrome. But like from the normal physiologic process, people right. aren't like, oh, if you don't wash your hands really well after, you know, menstruating, this terrible thing's going to happen to you, right? Like, like this isn't even in our cultural sort of memory in any way. So it mm. just really shows that this polluting power of menstruation is so ingrained and it is – Well, in it's – then I would say, I'd argue it's the oldest weapon of the patriarchy because that is how you other half the population because it's a physical evidence of filth, Mm. right? And then everything just goes down from there. Totally. Yeah. I mean, this is like a major theme of your book, right? And your work in general 
is making people feel less shame about conversations around all sorts of things, but in blood specifically around periods and more empowered when it comes to knowledge about how their bodies work. Um, I'm wondering like how this became your ultimate mission statement and I guess like what you want folks to know who get periods who are listening to this, uh, a majority of the listeners of this podcast do identify as women and people with vulvas. And so I'm wondering if you can share, like, what do you want folks to know about getting their periods, about how their body works? Like maybe we're, we're start, you know, like you said, explain it to me like I'm five. Like maybe we're <laughs> starting with the basics here around periods. Well, to, so to answer your first part, like about the shame, like I think I'm missing a shame gene. Like I just- <laughs> is not there. I like if I do something like if I've hurt someone's feelings and done something wrong, I feel very bad. Mm. And and I might feel ashamed if I did something like on purpose to hurt somebody. And like, you know, like when you're a kid, you think, oh, why why was I mean to that kid? Like, so I feel it's normal to feel shame in that circumstance. But otherwise, like, unless I've done something bad, I'm why would I feel shame? I just I like I'm just missing that like that feeling. Sounds quite healthy. Um, yeah, and I don't know how cuz like, you know, it's I don't like think my parents were had anything to do with that. They were not like great examples. My mother was all about shaming. I think perhaps because she was all about shaming, I realized that well, you can't everything can't be shameful. Like so none of it must be. Like, you know, I think it was kind of more like that. But so I think so to to put the shame aside then and say, okay, well what should people know? Well, people should know that menstruation is normal and it's not polluting that um, that uh, you might bleed anywhere from you know one to seven days during a cycle. If you bleed for more than that, then um, then you should seek help from a medical provider or if you have clots that are bigger than the size of a quarter or if you're soaking your menstrual products. So if you can't contain your blood because of your menstrual products or if you just think your periods are too heavy, we also consider that a reason. Um, if your cramps are keeping you from doing things that you want to do. So unfortunately, menstrual cramps are quite typical. Um, for the most people, they should be pretty well improved with over-the-counter medications. So if they are not, then that's a sign there could be something else going on. Um, some people are resistant to those medications, but other people have medical conditions. And if your periods are not coming regularly, but it's not like a clock. So it, one month, it could be every 24 days. And the next cycle, it could be every 26. As long as it's within seven-day window, cycle to cycle, that's normal. Um, but if you're falling outside of that window or you're skipping two periods, then you absolutely should, again, talk to a medical provider because there can be medical conditions associated with that. And that would kind of be like the basic sort of like, you know, period starter information that people should know. Um, you know, people should also know that, um, that things like the color of your blood don't mean anything to your hormone levels. That's a really common trope. But the color of your blood is related to a, how much blood is there. So, you know, just like with food coloring, right? If you put one drop of red in a big glass, it's barely pink. And if you put the whole bottle, it's dark red. So that's part of it. Um, but it's also the black brown part of it is just related to oxidization of the iron. So it's not any, it's, it's exposed to air. That's it. It's not anything. Um, and the other thing I'd want people to know is there isn't blood just sloshing around in your uterus. I know your uterus might feel heavy, um, but the blood that comes out is like the blood from your vein. If I drew blood from your arm, it would be the same. What's different about it is that there's also cells 
from the lining of the uterus. And there's also then cervical mucus and then vaginal mucus that gets picked up along the way. But the actual blood is no different from the blood from your arm. So, and it's, it only shows up once the lining starts to peel away. So it's not like it's kind of sloshing around full of toxins. And of course, the menstrual cycle is not a detox. It's not a way to get rid of toxins because one, if you're a human, you don't have toxins. Um, you don't make them because um, toxins come from our pl- poisons made by plants, animals, and bacteria. We don't make toxins. Um, and obviously, if you needed your menstrual cycle to detox, then everybody would die in menopause. Right. <laughs> right, right, right. That makes sense. Well, I don't even know if I've heard the the toxins myth. Maybe I missed that, luckily. It's a big one on social media right now, and chiropractors seem to promote it and naturopaths because, of course, they have supplements and detoxes to sell you to, so you can detox appropriately. Listen, this is the next thing that we're getting into because I think this is something that you are specifically very well known for, which I really love. I think it's like really a big part of your brand, which is being like, Nope, this isn't true. Now I'm going to give you the science and the medicine to prove it. Like this is my credential, you know, that's what you do. And I think every time I see one of your videos on social media, I'm like, I got to watch this because I got to know what the latest myth is that Dr. Gunter is busting. Um, But let's talk about that really quick. So like there are non-expert influencers, I deem them snake oil salespeople, on the internet peddling incorrect information and pushing products that you definitely don't need this isn't new, like CVS has products that you also don't need, right? So we mm-hmm. can kind of talk about that too. But the internet is a particularly dangerous place to learn this because things go viral and people see things and they don't have a way to verify them. And so I'm wondering like lately, what are the top three things that are really grinding your gears when it comes to like repro health, menstruation, sexual health, like any myths that you really want to talk about and correct? Okay. So one, the idea that stopping your period with hormonal contraception is like evil, going to hurt you. You're not going to be able to tell about your health, like all this stuff. And, you know, no, um, people get pregnant and we can tell about their health and they're not menstruating. Um, so the studies tell us that people taking hormonal contraception have the same life expectancy. In fact, it's actually a couple months longer. You're probably not statistically significant. But but so this idea, frightening you away from medicine, right, that might be helpful to you. You know, forgetting that hormonal contraception is a big driver for the economic gains that, that women have had specifically. Um, and the ability to control the number of children you have uh, and to have sex for pleasure mm-hmm. um, and not procreation. And in fact, a lot of what I want people to really know is almost every one of these accounts scaring you away from hormonal contraception is linked to anti-vaccine beliefs, to promoting supplements, which are untested. Like how is hormonal contraception evil and unstudied, but supplements that are literally unstudied pharmaceuticals are sometimes better. And they're very tied to a lot of misogynistic beliefs about, um, you know, about how women should behave sexually and, you know, all kinds of things. So, so that there's almost always a darker Mm. side to those accounts. So just that's about, that would be one thing. This isn't like related specifically to the book per se, but is a big one on social media that you can, um, affect the pH in your vagina with a supplement or, you know, and no, you can't. It's an inside job related to your lactobacilli that we actually don't quite fully understand yet because it's really complex. Um, 
And I think the third one is that you can balance your hormones. That's like a nonsensical term that, that it doesn't have like a medical meaning. There's no medical condition called hormonal imbalance. I mean, maybe there is for naturopaths, but they're not actually doctors. So, you know, um, there's that. Um, so yeah, so that if you see the word hormonal imbalance, like that should be a red flag for you. It's either someone using a really bad analogy to explain a scientific, you know, the science behind menstruation or the menstrual cycle or a medical condition, or it's a grift. I mean, it's one of the two, but it's, it doesn't, it's not a thing. Your hormones aren't in balance. What's up with the supplement industry, right? So like, it's a very unregulated industry. Uh, you can theoretically, I guess, like say whatever you want. You're not really beholden to any science or have to make any, uh, you know, claims around medicine. Do you think that we're in this age where people just kind of want a quick fix and that's what they're aiming for? Or like, what, what do you think is like behind all of this? Well, like everybody wants a quick fix. If you told me that I could take a pill that would have the same effect as eating a healthy planned diet, that's a lot easier than going to Safeway and meal planning, right? Like, so we, I, I want a magic pill too. I don't want to have to, you know, I got up early to do the Peloton. If I could take a pill, I didn't have to do that. Like I would want that too. So, so it's playing into that, I think, first of all. Uh, Secondly, they can say whatever they want as long as they don't say that their supplement treats a specific medical condition. So that's why you see these non-scientific terms like adrenal support, ovary support, hormonal support, totally means nothing in medicine. And as long as they have that little claim at the bottom in tiny, teeny, tiny writing, you know, this, you know, this, uh, this has not been approved by the FDA and doesn't diagnose or treat any medical condition. I'm like, well, What's the point of taking something if it doesn't treat anything, right? Like, what's the point? Mm. The supplement industry is $50 billion a year. The, um, you know, by and large, the evidence to support them uh, is non-existent or terrible. Uh, you know, obviously, there are some people who have nutritional deficiencies who might need a supplement. So, for example, if you – and that's that's how it gets challenging to talk about it, right? Because some things are true and some things aren't. So if you are someone who's vegan or vegetarian, you almost certainly need a vitamin B12 supplement because you can't get that from your diet. If you've someone who's had gastric bypass, you almost certainly need to take a multivitamin because absorbing vitamins is harder for you. Um, A lot of people might need to take vitamin D depending on especially where they live um, or during the winter months. Uh, And um, if you're vegan or vegetarian, maybe you might also need an iodine supplement depending on where you live and how much table salt you have. And if you're pregnant or want to get pregnant, especially, we think taking a prenatal vitamin with folic acid will dramatically reduce your risk of a neural tube defect. And also in pregnancy, it's harder to get enough iodine. And so a pre, you know, prenatal supplement is valuable. Outside of that, there's very little evidence to support supplements, but you see like biotin, no good evidence to support mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, and in, you know, your field, uh, sexual health supplements for sexual health are, you know, oh, this is going to help your libido. This is a huge business. And I would actually really strongly caution people against those because those are the, in the groups of supplements that are most likely to be adulterated with either pharmaceuticals or with medications or drugs that are completely untested in humans. Wow. 
or hormones, right? So there have been supplements um, for libido that were um, filled with flibinserin, you know, ADE, which is a drug for um, for libido. It, it can have potential serious medical interactions. So you could take a drug and not know it. Um, it might be adulterated with testosterone or estrogen. And so, you know, especially supplements that have multi-ingredients, those are things we recommend people stay away from. And anything that says it has a proprietary blend because you don't know what's in it at all. And uh, there's no regulation. So people can literally put, they can put a poison in a supplement and they actually do because there's been a whole series of case reports of um, uh, Tejote, I think that's how you pronounce it, which is a weight loss supplement, uh, which actually has been just yellow oleander, which is a poison. Wow. And it sent people to the emergency department with serious cardiac complications, which is what happens when you take oleander. It's because it's a cardiac, it's like, acts like digoxin on your heart. It's quite serious. So, and people sell it. There are even supplements banned by the FDA. DMAA is one and you can still buy it online. Scary. Yeah. So, you know, two people went to jail over that, um, but because two men died. But yeah, I mean, you know, there are, there you, there is, it is absolutely buyer beware. And I think people should know that if these things really worked, they would be recommended by me- medical professional societies. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, nobody's turning that 50 billion a year into, uh, into any research and development. When you're traveling, you don't have access to your amazing sex goodies stash. So you start to pack your lube for sexy time in your toiletry bag. And when you open your bag back up, the lube you packed, of course, spills all over your toothbrush, makeup, and floss picks. Enter a brand new product from Uber Lube that will get your lube to your destination without spillage. They're new good to go travelers. Perfect for your purse, pocket, gym bag, or carry-on luggage, the Good To Go Traveler features the same Uberlube product in a discreet aluminum traveler that comes in six colors. Try Uberlube and their Good To Go Traveler now with code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at uberlube.com. Ever since getting engaged to my wonderful fiance, I've been thinking about ways to keep things fun and novel between us, but I, of course, want it to feel organic. I want to be able to feel sexy and comfortable in my body while trying something new. Thanks to Lion's Den, a new adventure I've been exploring is the world of lingerie. I never really was a big lingerie girl myself, but once I started trying on lingerie that accentuated my curves, felt super soft to the touch, and made me look in the mirror and felt wildly confident in my skin, that changed pretty quickly. Plus, when I searched for what I might like on Lion's Den's website, I saw models that actually looked like me. They were curvy and thick and voluptuous, and it made all the difference to see models that have my body type. Want to join me in my new lingerie chapter? Right now, you can use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off your purchase in-store and online at lionsden.com. Follow them on social media at Lion's Den Adult on IG and TikTok for exclusive offers, deals, and giveaways. Do you live in a state that has unjust bans to abortion? Plan C has got you covered. Go to plancpills.org and select your state or territory from the drop-down menu to learn how people are getting abortion pills by mail in your state, as well as information on hotlines, in-person clinics, and more. It even has a pregnancy calculator so you can determine how far along you are, which may affect which abortion options are available to you. Follow and share on social media at Plan C Pills and visit plancpills.org to learn more. 
What if I told you that I did a masturbation experiment with the magic wand and the results were incredible? Don't believe me? Let me share a few things with the class. When using the magic wand every day, I experienced less stress, anxiety, and physical tension. I reported more frequent positive moods when using the magic wand every day, including higher levels of confidence. My level of horniness increased over time when using the magic wand every day. Want to see how else the magic wand impacted me positively? Go to sexedwithdb.com slash magic wand experiment to learn more. Going back to periods really quick, right? Like one of your myths is like, there's no such thing as quote unquote balancing your hormones. But I'm wondering if you can talk us through like what exactly happens during a menstrual cycle in terms of what happens to your hormones and things that we do know work to make us feel better if our hormones are doing something that makes our body or our mental health different than what we would like them to be during that time. So um, to talk about kind of just the basics of the menstrual cycle, so you should think about it actually like two cogs that are like one's turning and another one's turning. So there's a cog turning in your ovary all the time that is recruiting follicles, which are immature eggs, and getting them prepped to be potential recruits for ovulation. And we don't understand this clock at all. It starts when you're a fetus. And it continues and continues. And it takes about 300 days, almost a year, for a follicle to get to the point where it can accept a signal for being recruited for ovulation, right? And this happens whether you're on the pill, it happens when you're pregnant, it happens when you're an infant, it happens when you're a child. And so, but obviously, if there's no signal to recruit it, to potentially ovulate, then nothing happens. But that's why we have this sort of slow decline of follicles throughout our lifespan. Once puberty starts and our brain wakes up, or this part of our brain wakes up, what happens is you get a signal from the pituitary, the hormone follicle stimulating hormone. And the follicles that are able to accept that stimulation, they've done that 300-day journey, they now enter the other sort of cog, if you will. And now they're stimulated by follicle-stimulating hormone. And then also another hormone that's released, luteinizing hormone or luteinizing hormone. And so... Under the influence of those hormones, the follicles produce uh, estradiol, which then the other estrogens as well, but estradiol is the main one. And that travels through the body to prep, if you will, the body for pregnancy. Um, it thickens the lining of the uterus to create that endometrium that can accept a fertilized egg. And it uh, has other effects on blood flow and breast tissue and all these things and brain wiring and all this stuff. When, uh, when there is high enough levels of estrogen that triggers ovulation and, uh, there's a, actually a surge of luteinizing hormone. And then, um, then you have an increase in progesterone after ovulation, the leftover follicle organizes itself into a structure called the corpus luteum, which produces very high amounts of the hormone progesterone. It's the progesterone that changes the lining of the uterus, physically transforms it from kind of a collection of cells into actual tissue and tissue that can accept a fertilized egg. Without decidualization, implantation can't happen. So um, so then if there is no uh, fertilization and implantation, there's no signal to maintain the corpus luteum and maintain the progesterone production. So after you know 12 days, it can vary cycle to cycle, um, the progesterone production stops. And it is the withdrawal of progesterone that triggers changes in um, inflammatory chemicals that um, causes the cells, the decidua to start to break off 
from the lining of the uterus, causing um, blood vessels to break open. Inflammatory mediators help along that to kind of cleave things. And then the blood um, helps to push uh, the endometrium out a lot as long as, as, as well as the uterine contractions. They also do that as well. And then you've got another group of follicles waiting in the wings and the cycle starts anew. And so that's kind of a reflection of the menstrual cycle. Many people um, during the second phase, during the luteal phase, report um, more mood symptoms. And we believe that's related to progesterone. Uh, And we don't quite understand why this is an active area of research. But since it's only happens after ovulation, and that's the only time you make progesterone, you know, that's kind of the link. Um, And uh, whether it's progesterone changing thresholds for depression, affecting mood, that's probably more likely what it is because um, that's, you know, PMS or premenstrual mood dysphoric disorder when it's more severe because the birth control pill, which stops ovulation, and um, antidepressants, which treat depression, they work in completely different ways, are actually both effective for this condition. So it's probably about hormones triggering depression. So you can either work on the depression side or work on the hormone side, depending on on how how you feel about it. And um, and so that's why some people feel that way during the second half of their cycle. Uh, and those are the most evidence-based ways to treat that um, with either of those medications. But obviously, people feel better with a good diet and exercise. Not that these things have been well studied, um, but uh, but those are sort of like, a, I always say those are like the foundation. And everything else that you add on top of that is like building the house. But if the foundation's not there, you know... Um, it's, it, you know, you might not get the same benefit. Um, and so that's kind of a menstrual cycle 101. Yeah. Super helpful. It's really wild to me that we're still studying this and we still don't know a lot of this. Do you think that with the research and the kind of funding towards this, that they're like, that is there now, uh, that we will have a lot more information in the coming years, or are we just at the very beginning of studying this? Well, we always don't know what we don't know. And the example I like to give is when I was a medical student and resident, we thought the only bacteria that was important in the vagina was lactobacillus acidophilus. We thought that was it. That was, you got to have acidophilus. And then when molecular technologies were invented, because those weren't invented, so we couldn't have known. When they were invented and we could identify DNA fragments and then actually sequence bacteria, we actually realized that acidophilus has not really nothing to do with health. And it's all there's other bacteria, other lactobacilli that are far more important. Wow. So it's always important to keep space for new technology because things get invented. You know, when I was a medical student, they're getting an MRI for a study was like challenging because there were so few of them. And now much easier, right? So you have to keep space for new technology. So I would say there's a couple of things here. So one is women's health has been globally understudied. Um, And for the majority of the context of studying, it's been to make reproduction safer, which is important. We don't want, you know, and we still have a long way to go with that, especially in the United States. But it's about been primarily about understanding infertility and, uh, you know, and sort of reproduction in that context and less about the life of the person, um, outside of reproduction, because one, not everybody wants to reproduce. But even if you do, most of your life is not spent reproducing. I mean, maybe for a small percentage of people have like 15 children, but the majority of people have, you know, 
one, two, three children, they're not spending their majority of their life reproducing, mm-hmm. right? So we have underfunding. And, you know, I think the COVID vaccine has told us that if you throw enough money and smart minds at things, you can solve problems really quickly. In January of 2020 was when the the COVID-19 virus was sequenced and we had a vaccine by December, a working vaccine. We had two working vaccines by December, right? Now there had also been some background research and other kinds of things, but just shows you what money can do. So I would say that we have a, we still have a long way to go, but I also say some of it's complex. We can't cut someone open and study their, study what's happening in their ovary. We can't cut their brain open and put probes in. So we are limited in some ways to indirect acquisition of knowledge. And so, for example, we're still learning about the biology of hot flashes. It's very complex. It's super complex. And it's made even more complex by the fact that when some people say they're having a hot flash, they're not registering it on their skin. And when some people register on their skin that they're having a hot flash, they say they're not experiencing it. Mm. So there's tolerance and other things and how society affects you that may also come into play. So lots of layers of complexity. Um, and for example, we didn't understand new, as new things about hot flashes were discovered when a new drug for it was discovered because people had to figure out how this drug worked, right? So, and then there's, that gives them new targets to look at. So I'm always hopeful with science because it's always evolving. Um, It doesn't always evolve fast enough for the individual person. Um, And I believe that we're heading more in the right direction, but, you know, there's a lot to make up. And so I'm, I'm both angry at the past, but hopeful for the future. Totally. Yeah. Thank you for, for sharing all that super helpful context. Um, Just kind of wrapping up here again, thank you so much for, for being on. This has been a really big treat and it's been awesome to get to chat with you and to, to learn from you. But I'm wondering like, what do you hope that young people who are reading this book and really people of all ages gain from it? Like what, what messages do you really like want, you know, to hit home for people who are reading this? So first of all, there's nothing gross about having a period. And, uh, if we didn't have menstrual cycles, humans wouldn't be here. We would be very different, right? Um, so, you know, menstruation has allowed us in many ways to develop as individual, you know, individuals who can have massive brains. You know, we have the placenta to support us. So it's all related to that. So first of all, nobody should make you feel like you're dirty because none of these people would be here, right? So, but it's also unfair for people who menstruate to bear all the burden of it, right? We can't make the whole population menstruate. That's not going to happen. But um, we can fight for uh, gender equality. We can fight for pay equality. We can fight for childcare. We can fight for menstrual leave. We can fight for free period products, right? Um, because you know, if everybody menstruated, I just have a feeling that prices of these products might be a little different, right? We should be insisting that people who live in rural places aren't having to pay more for their menstrual products, right? We should be getting rid of taxes. So I would ask people to say, like, everybody needs to focus on how we can reduce the inequities that are built into this experience, right? Healthcare shouldn't cost more, right? If you look at a woman between the ages of 20 and 40 who menstruates, she's going to need more medical care on average than someone who doesn't menstruate during that time, Mm. right? So how can we make it equitable for people? So I would say that that should be a focus. And, And to learn your biology, 
Because once you know how it all works, it's very empowering. At the doctor's office, you can tell if you've get getting bad information. Online, you can see if you're getting bad information. And I would also put a plea in for when you see bad information online, just block that person. It doesn't matter how cool their makeup tips are or their fashion tips are, block them. Because you know what? There's plenty of people who are telling you cool things on social media that don't pass on misinformation. There's lots of makeup influencers and um, people who make um, gorgeous recipes. I'm obsessed with following people who make macarons, for example. Not all my social media content is medicine, right? There are plenty of people in the spaces that interest you that aren't passing on disinformation. So curate your feed because it takes five exposures to incorrect information to make you start to believe it. Mm. And we all mistake repetition for accuracy. So mm. so cl- the only detox you need is your social media feed. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. Um, amazing. And if you can just kind of share like what's next for you, like what are you working on? Where can our listeners find and follow you and buy your book? Sure. So my big project for 2024 is to perfect making French macarons. And I'm <laughs> absolutely 100% serious. I've made them, made them twice this year. Wow. And uh, yeah, young, yeah, already. I know it's it's a thing. I've decided I'm going to conquer this. Love it. I, the, yeah. I mean, you know, it's if it if I don't get it in a year, then I'll I'll move on to something else. I mean, I'm I'm very com- I'm a pretty competent baker, but you know, meringue's got issues. So so that's what I'm working on. Great. I also have um, a blog, thevagenda.com, and that's where I take a lot of deeper dives into things. See, there's so many things I wanted to write about in the book that I had to distill to a chapter or I distill to a paragraph, and. They could have been a whole chapter. So deeper dives. Um, and so you can find me on thevagenda.com. And you can also find me on Instagram, um, Twitter. I'm not calling it X because that's stupid. Refuse. Um, I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> I, like I, ref- I refuse to, to, to say that because it was named after somebody. It's named by somebody with basically like a 12-year-old boy's psyche. Like, I'm sorry. Um, so you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, uh, at Dr. Jen Gunter. I'm also on TikTok, but not really. Cause I actually find their algorithm kind of frightening and I get sucked in so easily. And then totally. I've been there for an hour. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And I'm like, why am I watching all these clips of pride and prejudice when I could just t- them, put the movie on? <laughs> Um, uh, right. That's good. So, um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of stepping away from TikTok, but, but I, I'm going to be, I've got some really cool videos that I'm going to be putting up to support the book. So I hope people check them out. Um, and then I'm also on blue sky and threads, you know, we're all trying to navigate these new spaces and then Facebook, but you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, everyone, everyone knows it's kind of becoming a thing of the past. Um, yeah. and where can people find your book? Yeah, so you can find my book at any independent bookseller, uh, and uh, so so that's a great place to order and support your local independent bookstore. Um, but you can also find it wherever books are sold at Barnes and Noble and Amazon, and um, and uh, yeah, and I'll be at lots of different places signing books. And if you check um, the agenda, you can also find a link for how to order a signed book if you want one that says something like "fuck the patriarchy." <laughs> Incredible! Thank you so much, Dr. Jen Gunter. We uh, we really love, I'll speak for my audience, learning from you and having you on today. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. Our creator, host, and executive producer is me, Danielle Bezalel. Our producer and communications lead is Catherine Cohen. Our producer and communications coordinator is Sadie Leegee. Our marketing coordinator is Kate Fiala. Our music theme is by Hook Sounds. Thanks so much to our featured guests, partners, and listeners. 
want to partner with us? Email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. For more sex ed content, follow us on Instagram at sexedwithdbpodcast and on TikTok at sexedwithdb. Want to rep us with some brand new Sex Ed with DB merch? Go to sexedwithdb.com slash merch to check it out now. See you next time.